Chapter Nine of Arnig. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bridget Gage. Arnig by Harriet E. Wilson. Chapter Nine, Death. We have now but a small portion of what men call time to hold communion. Spring opened, and James, instead of rallying as was hoped, grew worse daily. Aunt Abby and Fredo were the constant allies of Susan. Mrs. Belmont dared not lift him; she was not strong enough. She said, "It was very offensive to Mrs. B to have nab about James so much. She had thrown out many a hint to detain her from so often visiting the sick room, but Aunt Abby was too well accustomed to her ways to mind them. After various unsuccessful efforts, she resorted to the following expedient: as she heard her cross the entry below to ascend the stairs. She slipped out and held the latch of the door, which led into the upper entry. James does not want to see you or anyone else," she said. Aunt Abby hesitated, and returned slowly to her own room, wondering if it were really James' wish not to see her. She did not venture again that day, but still felt disturbed and anxious about him. She inquired of Fredo and learned that he was no worse. She asked her if James did not wish her to come and see him. What could it mean? Quite late next morning, Susan came to see what had become of her aunt. Your mother said James did not wish to see me, and I was afraid I tired him. Why, aunt, that is a mistake. I know. What could mother mean? Asked Susan. The next time she went to the sitting room, she asked her mother, "Why does not Aunt Abby visit James as she has done? Where is she? At home. I hope that she will stay there." Was the answer. I should think she would come in and see James. Continued Susan. I told her he did not want to see her and to stay out. You need make no stir about it. Remember, she added, with one of her fiery glances. Susan kept silence. It was a day or two before James spoke of her absence. The family were at dinner, and Fredo was watching beside him. He inquired the cause of her absence, and she told him all. After the family returned, he sent his wife for her. When she entered, he took her hand and said, "Come to me often, aunt. Come any time. I am always glad to see you. I have but a little longer to be with you. Come often, aunt. Now please help lift me up and see if I can rest a little." Fredo was called in, and Susan and Mrs. B all attempted. Mrs. B was too weak. She did not feel able to lift so much. So the three succeeded in relieving the sufferer. Fredo returned to her work. Mrs. B followed, seizing Fredo. She said she would cure her of tail-bearing, and placing the wedge of wood between her teeth, she beat her cruelly with the rawhide. Aunt Abby heard the blows and came to see if she could hinder them. Surprised at her sudden appearance, Mrs. B suddenly stopped, but forbade her removing the wood till she gave her permission, and commanded Nab to go home. She was thus tortured when Mr. Belmont came in, and making inquiries which she did not, because she could not answer, approached her and seeing her situation, quickly removed the instrument of torture and sought his wife. Their conversation we will omit. Suffice it to say, a storm raged which required many days to exhaust its strength. Fredo was becoming seriously ill. She had no relish for food and was constantly overworked. And then she had such solicitude about the future, 
She wished to pray for pardon. She did try to pray. Her mistress had told her it would do no good for her to attempt prayer. Prayer was for whites, not for blacks. If she minded her mistress and did what she commanded, it was all that was required of her. This did not satisfy her, or appease her longings. She knew her instructions did not harmonize with those of the man of God, or Aunt Abby's. She resolved to persevere. She said nothing on the subject, unless asked. It was evident to all her mind was deeply exercised. James longed to speak with her alone on the subject. An opportunity presented soon, while the family were at tea. It was usual to summon Aunt Abby to keep company with her, as his death was expected hourly. As she took her accustomed seat, he asked, "'Are you afraid to stay with me alone, Fredo?' "'No,' she replied, and stepped to the window to conceal her emotion. "'Come here and sit by me. I wish to talk with you.' She approached him, and taking her hand, he remarked, "'How poor you are, Fredo. I want to tell you that I fear I shall never be able to talk with you again. It is the last time, perhaps, I shall ever talk with you.' You are old enough to remember my dying words, and profit by them. I have been sick a long time. I shall die pretty soon. My heavenly Father is calling me home. Had it been His will to let me live, I should take you to live with me. But as it is, I shall go and leave you. But, Fredo, if you will be a good girl, and love and serve God, it will be but a short time before we are in a heavenly home together. There will never be any sickness or sorrow there." Fredo, overcome with grief, sobbed, and buried her face in his pillow. She expected he would die, but to hear him speak of his departure himself was unexpected. "'Bid me good-bye, Fredo.' She kissed him, and sank on her knees by his bedside. His hand rested on her head. His eyes were closed. His lips moved in prayer for this disconsolate child. His wife entered, and interpreting the scene, gave him some restoratives, and withdrew for a short time. It was a great effort for Fredo to cease sobbing, but she dared not be seen below in tears, so she choked her grief, and descended to her usual toil. Susan perceived a change in her husband. She felt that death was near. He tenderly looked on her, and said, "'Susan, my wife, our farewells are all spoken. I feel prepared to go. I shall meet you in heaven.' Death is indeed creeping fast upon me. Let me see them all once more. Teach Charlie the way to heaven. Lead him up as you come. The family all assembled. He could not talk as he wished to them. He seemed to sink into unconsciousness. They watched him for hours. He had labored hard for breath some time, when he seemed to awake suddenly, and exclaimed, Hark! Do you hear it? Hear what, my son? asked the father. Their call! Look, look at the shining ones. Oh, let me go and be at rest. As if awaiting for this petition, the angel of death severed the golden thread, and he was in heaven. At midnight the messenger came. They called Fredo to see his last struggle. Sinking on her knees at the foot of his bed, she buried her face in the clothes and wept like one inconsolable. They led her from the room. She seemed to be too much absorbed to know what was necessary for her to leave. Next day she would steal into the chamber as often as she could, to weep over his remains, and ponder his last words to her. She moved about the house like an automaton. Every duty performed, but an abstraction from all, 
which showed her thoughts were busied elsewhere. Susan wished her to attend his burial as one of the family. Louis and Mary and Jack it was not thought best to send for, as the season would not allow them time for the journey. Susan provided her with a dress for the occasion, which was her first intimation that she would be allowed to mingle her grief with others. The day of the burial she was attired in her mourning dress, but Susan in her grief had forgotten a bonnet. She hastily ransacked the closets, and found one of Mary's, trimmed with bright pink ribbon. It was too late to change the ribbon, and she was unwilling to leave Fredo at home. She knew it would be the wish of James she should go with her. So tying it on, she said, "'Never mind, Fredo. You shall see where our dear James is buried.' As she passed out, she heard the whispers of the bystanders. "'Look there! See there! How that looks! A black dress and a pink ribbon!' Another time, such remarks would have wounded Fredo. She had now a sorrow with which such were small in comparison. As she saw his body lowered in the grave, she wished to share it, but she was not fit to die. She could not go where he was if she did. She did not love God, she did not serve him, or know how to. She retired at night to mourn over her unfitness for heaven, and gaze out upon the stars, which she felt studded the entrance of heaven. above which james reposed in the bosom of jesus to which her desires were hastening she wished she could see god and ask him for eternal life aunt abby had taught her that he was ever looking upon her oh if she could see him or hear him speak words of forgiveness her anxiety increased her health seemed impaired and she felt constrained to go to aunt abby and tell her all about her conflicts She received her like a returning wanderer, seriously urged her to accept of Christ, explain the way, read to her from the Bible, and remarked upon such passages as applied to her state. She warned her against stifling that voice which was calling her to heaven, echoed the farewell words of James, and told her to come to her with her difficulties, and not to delay a duty so important as attention to the truths of religion and her soul's interests. Mrs. Belmont would occasionally give instruction, though far different. She would tell her she could not go where James was, she need not try. If she should get to heaven at all, she would never be as high up as he. He was the attraction. Should she want to go there if she could not see him? Mrs. B. seldom mentioned her bereavement, unless in such allusion to Fredo. She donned her weeds from custom, kept close her crape veil for so many Sabbaths, and abated nothing of her characteristic harshness. The clergyman called to minister consolation to the afflicted widow and mother. Aunt Abby, seeing him approach the dwelling, knew at once the object of his visit, and followed him to the parlor, unasked by Mrs. B. What a daring affront! The good man dispensed the consolations, of which he was steward, to the apparently grief-smitten mother, who talked like one schooled in a heavenly atmosphere, such resignation expressed as might have graced the trial of the holiest. Susan, like a mute sufferer, bared her soul to his sympathy and godly counsel, but only replied to his questions in short syllables. When he offered prayer, Fredo stole to the door that she might hear of the heavenly bliss of one who was her friend on earth. The prayer caused profuse weeping, as any tender reminder of the heaven-born was sure to. When the good man's voice ceased, 
she returned to her toil, carefully removing all trace of sorrow. Her mistress soon followed, irritated by Nab's impudence and presenting herself unasked in the parlor, and upbraided her with indolence, and bade her apply herself more diligently. Stung by unmerited rebuke, weak from sorrow and anxiety, the tears rolled down her dark face, soon followed by sobs, and then losing all control of herself, she wept aloud. This was an act of disobedience. Her mistress grasping her raw hide caused a longer flow of tears, and wounded a spirit that was craving healing mercies. End of chapter 9